I think it just gave me a lot of confidence and hope and awareness about the world. And I mean, I'm, I'm a criminal justice major now, which I probably definitely would not be if um, I hadn't been taught to see what could be fixed or what could be improved in, in the world. And if I couldn't, you know, understand that there, that I can make an impact. And, and speech taught me all of that. Greetings, friends. Lyle Wiley here, a high school English teacher and speech and debate coach in Thermopolis, Wyoming, and your host of the One Clap Speech and Debate podcast. Today on the podcast, Lizzie Cousins, a four-year Rock Springs High School Tiger, team leader and talented orator who delivered many strong platform speeches back in her competition days, dropped in for a chat about all things oratory. In a previous Speech Spotlight episode, Lizzie shared one of her favorite oratories, a powerful speech entitled Deadly Dancing. In our conversation, Lizzie discussed her speech and debate origins, she talked about what she thinks makes an original oratory such an exciting event, and then specifically discussed the inception and mechanics of her Deadly Dancing speech. Lizzie is indeed a wellspring of great advice for orators. Well, let's go right ahead and hop into my interview with Lizzie Cousins. I'm here on the One Clap Podcast with Lizzie Cousins. Thank you so much, Lizzie, for coming on the podcast today. We're going to talk about original oratory, among some other things. It's good to see you. Good to see you, too. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we got to start with a really important question. On a scale of 1 to 10, how nerdy would you say that you are? Oh, golly. I'd say maybe like on the 4 to 6 range, there's like a big dosage of dork in there. Would you care to explain like what, what you mean by do, dosage of dork? Like, what <laughs> sorts of elements of your personality would you say are nerdy? Hmm. So, okay. I associate nerdy with like, you know, like the policy kids of per- personality, you know, where you like research and math and, and all of that. I, I'm not very good at that sort of thing. Like I, I just don't have the mindset for it. Um, but I do like to, you know, like read and I have like a very creative mindset I guess like I, I I really enjoy like thinking about like weird obscure stuff half the time and um I don't know like I, I think oratory kind of has its own personality and I think I kind of have you know the the dorky oratory personality that a lot of people have are you the kind of person that likes to you kind of look into something and it suddenly becomes very fascinating to you and then you rabbit hole on it for a long period of time yeah, I you said that, that so well. Yes, <laughs> it's a pretty nerdy trait. You might be a little higher than a four to six, but yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. You're not that specific brand of debate nerd, but a different kind of nerd. Got it. What kind of books do you like to read? Honestly, I like anything. Um, I love old fiction. Like I love classics. I really like uh, dystopian novels, any fantasy. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll pick up a nonfiction, mostly if I'm like researching something, but I, I find them interesting. That's cool. It's always nice to find a fellow reader. So what brought you into the world of speech and debate? What's your speech and debate origin story? My speech and debate origin story is probably different than a lot of people's. My mom is the Rock Springs High School speech and debate coach. And my sister was a senior in high school the year that I joined. Um, at the time, my mom wasn't the coach, but the next year she did become one. So there was just like a lot of I want to say family, I don't want to say family pressure, but kind of, it was, it was an expectation that I joined, um, and I put it off for maybe about a quarter and then decided, oh yeah, sure. Why not? 
I did interp for a little bit. I hated it. Um, I, I love interpreters, don't get me wrong, but it, it just wasn't my thing. Continued sort of with that sophomore year, discovered that I'm okay at oratory. I enjoyed it, but I still wasn't super interested in it. And then this is kind of terrible to say, but like towards the end of my sophomore year, I started to do okay with my oratory. And I realized, oh, I might actually be able to like get some recognition, be able to to win some trophies with this. And I decided I want trophies. The, the next two years of, of high school were kind of spent uh, as a redemption arc in my oratory life. There's nothing wrong with like getting a little bit of success and then wanting more success. So it's nothing embarrassing about that. That's, that's cool. Uh, so you started kind of slow, but then you really got into it later. What was exciting to you about oratory? We're going to really sort of focus in on oratory today in our discussion. So what, what was it about it that you found really exciting or interesting? Honestly, I think a lot of it originated with just like social observance. Like I'm not a very good actor and looking up, you know, like facts and stuff and, and coming up with arguments on the spot. It's, it's a lot of fun. And I did do that. But the cool thing about oratory is that you get to be observant, observant about the world around you and you get to see, you know, what issues you yourself might have or the people around you might be experiencing. And you get to think, oh, there might be something deeper behind this and there might even be a solution. And you get to, to advocate for that with people. And that's something I really found is like, I actually continue to, to do oratory is that you really do have the opportunity to change people's mindsets, um, which is just, it, it's a privilege and it's, it's so cool. Yeah, talk about a highly educational event. Whenever I am in an oratory round or working with orators, I always feel like I'm learning a lot. It's really educational. It's an opportunity to learn a lot and think about the world a different way. I love the way that you put that observing others is something that you enjoy and that you're kind of good at. Uh, oratory does give you a chance to like look at things through a completely different lens, which is really exciting and cool. So the speech that you're going to share with us um, is deadly dancing. Hmm intriguing. Um, so <laughs> you want to talk a little bit about this specific oratory? We can start with how you came up with the idea for your oratory, but maybe you should clue us into just a little bit about what it's about. Yeah. So Deadly Dancing, the title comes from, um, it, there's a YouTube channel show that I used to watch called Good Mythical Morning. And I had seen it a couple of years before I actually wrote Deadly Dancing, but they talked about this lady named uh, Frau Trafo. And she was in this European village and one day she just like went out into the streets and she started dancing and she couldn't stop. And soon like the entire village was just like dancing with her and they danced like all week and they, and they like literally could not stop. And as I reached my senior year of high school, which is when I delivered the speech, you know, I I'd had four years of experience of, of high school. My, my first two years of high school, I had had this friend, um, which I, I referenced this in the speech. It, she really, really just changed my high school career. And, and the way that I reacted to her changed my high school career. She was going through a lot at the time and I didn't necessarily react in the best way. I, I over empathized with her and um, it, it kind of sent me into a depression. And what, what deadly dancing is about is about kind of the negative impacts that empathy can have on you, not just the individual, but on society, how it's, you know, kind of romanticized, but Maybe it's not all that it's cracked up to be. 
It's a really interesting idea. When you did come up with the idea for the speech, a lot of the inception of that was related to the personal experience that you had. Is that kind of where the sort of the inception of the speech came from? Yeah, yeah. Senior year was like, I think when I could finally say like, I'm out of this this state of mind that I was in a couple of years back. So I was able to like reflect on it and think, what could I have done differently? How generally do you come up with topics for platform speeches in your experience over the years of doing speeches? Like what were some of the other ways, your other creative processes for coming up with an idea for a speech? So I actually wrote, I wrote a document about this um, at the end of my senior year because um, I was, I was the captain for platforms. So I, I, you know, wanted to do some, some coaching. So there were a couple of things. Um, I would look at, you know, lessons I've learned over the years, which is how I came up with deadly dancing. One of the, my favorite things to do was make like a contrarian list. I would think of like a lot of things that people would advocate for. Oftentimes what I would see within oratories actually. And then I would think, how can I advocate for the opposite of that? Which was just like a little fun research trick for me, I guess. It, it was just kind of a fun exercise for me. And then just kind of like, as we talked about before, looking at the world and observing what we wish would, would be able to change. Those are some really good pieces of advice. You know, coming up with a topic is is often one of the things that's hardest for my students. They feel overwhelmed by the freedom of the event and by the multitude of possibilities of things that they're interested in or things that they could do a speech about. It's a, it's a space that I think students need a lot of help. So after you've come up with a topic and you have an idea for a speech, you know, you've got to figure out ways to make it interesting, meaningful, fun, fresh, engaging. So in that speech, the deadly dancing speech that you, that you did as a senior, what were some of the moves that you made to really try to make that speech pop, to make it interesting, engaging, fresh? So yeah, one of the things that I, I'm actually kind of glad that I get to explain because I referenced this in my speech, um, I would dance in Deadly Dancing for the first part to kind of, you know, just like demonstrate what Frau Trafo and her friends were doing. Obviously, that that's, I, I don't recommend everybody do that. But, um, you know, hand motions are huge. Eye contact is, I, I can never like overemphasize how important I think eye contact is. Looking into somebody's eyes while they react to what you're saying is is not only encouraging for you, but it, it's also encouraging for them because there's that that communication going on between you and the judge and and the people in the room, and it, it makes it feel more personal to them. Um, so that's that's one of the performance techniques I've found. Also, just including like personal stories, making sure that it is something that is genuinely meaningful to you. A lot of kind of more generic speech ideas that I've seen have honestly been extremely competitive. <laughs> Because it, it's meaningful to to the person giving the speech, and they really care about what they're talking about, and that that translates while they're performing it. It's a really great point. It, it's not always like how creative you can get with a topic or finding the perfect topic. A lot of times, I think you're right. It's also just buying into it, being passionate about it, and finding a connection that's real, and then using that connection in that topic. So for you in Deadly Dancing, did you also figure out some ways to sort of personally connect to this topic too? Uh, obviously, you must have as as the inception of the, uh, the speech is about something that was deeply personal. 
Yeah, yeah. There was a lot that that went into like making it more meaningful to me. Generally, as kind of just a personal rule, I am not very vulnerable and open with people. So I was reading through my first copy of this speech and it was like there was no personal story, even though I had one. And there was there wasn't like any story. There wasn't any like there wasn't anything to it that made it flow and just made made you your heart kind of ache a little bit. It was just a lot of statistics and facts and a lot of things. Um, one of my favorite parts of the speech is um, when I write about this girl who uh, who had been murdered. As a result of this murder, her her father just went on like this. He went on this huge kick to to get these people who had only committed small crimes um, before in their lifetime, that if they committed a total of three crimes, that they could be put in jail for 20 years to life, um, no matter how small the crime was. And just sharing about how so many people's lives had been ruined because of that and and sharing about, you know, there there is this really, really tragic story of this one individual, but there are so many people who have been personally affected by this one one incident I, I don't know it, it like it really it it tugged at my heartstrings in a very specific way and I don't really know what made me resonate so much with it but I was so happy to include it in the speech when you wrote your speech and you've kind of alluded to this actually kind of mentioned the first your first draft of the speech felt a little less personal and interesting and uh emotional, maybe lacking some vulnerability, like you mentioned. Um, so how did your speech evolve over the course of the season? Did you utilize like ideas from others, comments from judges, friends? What are some ways that you personally self-reflect and like make changes to your own speeches? Yeah. So I think one of the things that was important to me in making changes to my speech was that I gave myself enough time to do so. So my senior year was the first year that I like was like so diehard. I was like, I'm going to do this. Like I am going to be competitive. Um, so I wrote my speech, I want to say in like July, the summer before my senior year. So I had, I had an early time to get in with my coach. I, I was able to submit it early for, for edits. So I was able to get that done early. Um, and I would just practice like so much. And, um, you know, one of my favorite things about competing and honestly failing in speech and debate, um, it has a really wonderful tendency to humble you, is um, judges' comments. Like when, whenever somebody would, whenever there was a consistent line of judges not understanding something or thinking something is unnecessary or, or anything like that, I was able to, to take a second look at my speech. And I mean, I was editing it up until I think right before the last tournament of the season. So, I mean, I, it was very, very significant. There were the personal stories. Um, I took out some statistics. Um, I added in some statistics, just whatever I could find that would be more engaging for my audience. I changed it. So it would be like that. How different would your speech have been if you didn't touch it from the very beginning of the year to the end? (laughs) So different. (laughs) And honestly, I think I probably would have gotten really sick of it pretty early on. Something that I really loved is I, I, I mean, I still love my speech. I I loved it though until the last time I performed it, like it's still just carried so much meaning for me. 
yeah, I think maybe doing the work of evolving that speech to a place that it's, you know, continually improving and stuff. I think that that helps you feel more attached and bought into it. I think that's a, that's a good point. Of course, you know, the, the more work we put into something too, just in general, the, a lot of times the more it means to us for sure. So is there anything else you'd like to add about deadly dancing specifically that speech? And something I always like to share about, um, about that speech and that experience that I had with it was, I mean, I knew the impact that it had for me and something that I love about oratory is that while you're writing your speech, you can always learn something. I mean, you want to learn while you're writing it. If you're not surprising yourself, then I, I feel like it's, it's not really going to surprise the people that you're giving it to either. But, um, I remember this one tournament that I went to out of state and I shared this speech and, um, I, I did, I did pretty okay with it. And after the award ceremony, one of my judges, she found me and she, she came up to me and she said, I just want you to know that, um, that your speech really helped me and that this is something that I actually struggle with a lot, that this, this had a lot of impact for me. So thank you. And just knowing that that's something that, you know, any oratory or any speech kid can experience, um, I think is just very, very meaningful for anybody who gets discouraged when they're giving their oratories or giving their speeches. It's pretty beautiful. Like the idea that something you work so hard on and that you try to create a message that will help people can actually help people. Yeah. Something that's, it's encouraging though, when you hear, because it's not, you don't always hear it all the time, but, but I think that as a teacher, this is a really common thing for teachers. You know, you, you teach students um, and you don't hear from students for years and years. Like that's it's just normative. I mean, like it's not, it's not easy for folks to say, Hey, you're making a difference or uh, what you said inspired me or anything like that. Um, we're lucky in the speech and debate community that we get impact because we have judges that leave comments, but I think you're really right. Like you've got to grab hold of those moments and, and remember that you can make a difference and, and that, that this, this activity can actually make a difference and what you do and say can mean something to someone. Um, so I guess that's, this could be kind of coupled into this question a little bit, but what advice would you give someone who really wants to make a great oratory? Maybe they're just starting out. Maybe they, maybe they're kind of like how you were in your freshman and sophomore year and they were just kind of going through the motions, but they really want to take it to the next level. Um, do you have some advice for people about how they can write and perform a, a great original oratory speech? Something that I noticed a lot, well, um, you know, trying to help, especially freshmen come in and, Right, oratory is oratory is is very very difficult if you overthink it originally, um, because like like you said, there's so much freedom to an oratory. You get to pick your own topic. You get a you get to pick how you're going to write it and perform it and everything. And that that freedom is intimidating for a lot of people, so they they automatically overthink it. My one of my favorite things that I learned in speech and debate while performing, while writing, while everything is, I mean, be passionate about it and, and think about what you're doing and be willing to work hard. But also at the end of the day, it's important just not to care about being really good. And it's really important not to care about, I mean, I'm, I'm a bad example of this, but don't care right away about winning. <laughs> Cause if that's what you care about, then it's going to, you're going to get really in your head and it's going to, be hard to even get like a sentence out on paper. I think that's some really great advice and definitely something that we all, that, that a lot of folks struggle with, right. Is the idea of getting success immediately. Like 
and that coloring sort of the way that you approach things. So I think there's some really good advice in there. So if you don't mind, I'd like to maybe generalize just a little bit more about your speech and debate experience. And I'm just kind of curious, like, what do you think has been, was the best part of your speech and debate experience? That's a good question. So high school for me generally was not a very enjoyable experience. And, you know, now that it's been a couple of years um, and I get to look back on it, the only points where I ever felt like I had a voice and where I was seen and valued and heard um, was in speech and debate. It gave me an opportunity to, you know, find a community. Um, And not only that, but it also gave me an opportunity to look outside of myself, which I think is something that a lot of teenagers really need, but I especially really needed. So I, I think it just gave me a lot of confidence and hope and awareness about the world. And I mean, I'm, I'm a criminal justice major now, which I probably definitely would not be if um, I hadn't been taught to see what could be fixed or what could be improved in, in the world. And if I couldn't, you know, understand that there, that I can make an impact and, and speech taught me all of that. So I think that I'd really just need to ask you the last really important question. I've been really trying to figure out, to pin down the best speech snack. And so I like to ask people what their go-to snacks are so I can selfishly figure out what the best snack is for me in the future. Um, so <laughs> things have been different because we've been virtual and I think that that's affected the snackosphere or whatever. But I, I'm curious, when you were a competitor, what was your go-to speech and debate snack? I was very superstitious about this. I laughed when I, I saw this, this question be sent to me beforehand. Um, I could not go into a round if I did not have at least a handful of hot Cheetos and a sip of kickstart. Like that was, that was my go-to and it was essential. If I didn't have those things before every round, then I didn't do well. Interesting. I, I am a, I do love Cheetos and you're talking about the hot ones. Yeah. The, 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 those are pretty, pretty tasty, but the, what flavor of kickstart was it? Didn't matter. Just any kind of kickstart or did you have a specific flavor? Black cherry was preferred, but I would do anything in a cinch. Okay. All right. Well, probably not going to adopt that one personally, but interesting, interesting choice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Lizzie, for coming on the podcast and sharing your ideas, expertise, uh, experience with original oratory. And maybe I'd have you back sometime. If you'd like to come back, I'd love to have you. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much to Lizzie for coming on the podcast and sharing her speech and her many oratory insights. Lizzie references some documents that she created when she was the captain of a Rock Springs platform squad, and she has generously shared these with the community. I've published these resources as articles on oneclapspeechanddebate.com, and I will be sure to link to those in the episode show notes, so be sure to check them out. It's time for some shout outs. Thank you to everyone who is a patron of One Clap Speech and Debate. Your kind gifts help keep this show going. Thank you so much to Marcus, Londie, Debbie, Missy, Ashley S, Ashley M, Beth, Laura, Brenda, Aaron, Terry, Tina, Alan, Matt, and Joel for your continued support. Check out our Patreon page, also linked in the show notes, if you'd like to join in support of One Clap Speech and Debate and partner with me on this journey. If you have an idea or a request for One Club Speech and Debate, shoot me an email at lylewiley at gmail.com 
or reach out on the One Clap Speech and Debate podcast website or social media linked in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to One Clap Speech and Debate. Happy holidays, and we'll catch you next time. One Clap.